Welcome to the John DeVito Show. This is John DeVito, and we're going to be doing today part two of our expose on the Agape Boarding School and the allegations of abuse that we have seen from several people last night. We actually had our first show last night where we had seven people call into the show, and for those seven people, we heard tons of different allegations of emotional abuse, of physical abuse, of sexual abuse, and it was just absolutely mind-blowing mind and troubling to me to hear all of these different issues that have been happening happening at the Agape Boarding School for many, many, many years. The seven people we had on last night, we literally had people that had been connected with that school going back as far as 1994, and these people you know, were, went, I think, as long as 2018 at the school. So last night we had Tristan, we had Sean, we had Nicole, we had Amy, we had Colton, we had Rich, and we had Amanda all calling into the show and telling stories of abuse that's happened at this boarding school. We heard stories of young men getting their heads put through walls, you know, in fits of rage by the staff. We hear, we've heard, you know, rumors of, you know, kids being beaten until they were bruised and bloodied and just beaten you know to a pulp in the school and there there were there were allegations also of emotional abuse of sexual abuse of a variety of different things that have happened the one thing that sticks out in my mind is i heard about uh, something called the Jurassic Elbow. And this is like something yeah. I'm sure that they will talk about as we get into the show. But the Jurassic Elbow was something that obviously could be explained um, more people in here, but it was literally like an elbow uh, to the neck that incapacitated, you know, students who were at this school. So I saw someone just mentioned if, you know, Celtic, if you want to call in again, go right ahead, Amy, fine with me. And what I'd like to do in this show, since we kind of give the introduction last night, you know, this, this school is located in Missouri, I've looked at the website. It looks like a very reputable school. But then when you hear the stories of abuse and you read the stories of abuse that have been happening at the school for many, many years, you realize there's a lot more to the school. So what I, who I'd like to start with today is I'd like to have Brett introduce himself and to just kind of go and tell us a little bit about who he is, you know, what were his experiences at the school, what he's dealing with today, and just really tell us everything he has on the school. So Brett, let me turn it over to you. I'm having a little bit of a trouble I'm here a in, a trouble with here. an echo here. Um, I'm trying to turn my mic. You know what it is? I think here. I think the Can problem is I just there? I just disconnected Josh. I think Josh is calling in without headphones because when you call him without head without headphones, you get the the echo that we just heard. So when I disconnected Josh, sure. the echo went away. So Josh, if you could find some headphones with a mic, then that echo problem will go away. Okay, go ahead, Brett. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, oh, no, okay. I just, uh, I didn't know if I, my headphones were uh, <laughs> were doing that or not. <laughs> so nope. I, was I think of... it was Josh. Okay. When he came back on, we heard the echo. So Josh needs hey. to find some headphones. Go ahead, hey, Brett. I'm used to stuff like this because I've done audio. Uh, I've done a lot of recordings and stuff and, and producing music and some and some podcasting and some live radio stuff in the past. So I, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Does, you, know? I know. <laughs> you get used to it. Um, yeah, so I, my name is Brett Harper. I went to Agape from 99 to, um, it was like September 99, I believe, to uh, sometime uh, close to my birthday in October um, of 03, I believe. 
Um, and then uh, I left. I turned 18, and I was only, only 18 for a short time there. Um, but during that time, like, when you turn 18, they, 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 like, you can't really, like, talk to anybody else. And, like, you get certain privileges because they, they, they want you to finish school, and leave, you know, before you leave or whatever. Or they want to suck you into their cult. So um, I survived that place, but I also before that I went to a, a, a boys' home that was really abusive too, and and um, so I survived both places. Um, and my dad, uh, well, my adopted dad anyway, is uh, Bill Harper, who runs uh, Touchdown Transports, who has transported uh, David Patterson, I believe, so that he was transported by uh, Bill Harper. Uh, some other people uh, were transported by Bill Harper, and. Um, yeah, he's he's a real uh, he's a real jerk. I don't know what what we're allowed to say as far as curse words, but uh, let let it rip. It. Speak your mind. Let it rip. <laughs> he's an asshole. Right, here we <laughs> but, go. But be, yeah, be real. so <laughs> yeah, so uh, my story is kind of weird. I when I was four months old, my my biological dad murdered my mom, and um, so I never met my mom. Um, and uh, she was sixteen, and so and he was. I believe 18 and uh, he was just really messed up. He's still kind of messed up in the head. I mean, he was mental and has no excuse for what he did, but uh, he definitely has issues and um, it's taken a long time for me to forgive him. I have, and I've talked to him. I talk to him now every once in a while from prison. Um, and so that's pretty heavy stuff. But um, so I've always had to deal with that. I grew up not fitting in with the family, being a troubled teen, running away from home, feeling different, um, lashing out at Bill because he was the father figure. So I guess maybe projecting a little bit of anger I had once I found out what my biological dad did. But also, Bill was just a really cold asshole. <laughs> and uh, I, came to find out, I came to find out later that he uh, worked for McLaren in uh, Oregon. And McLaren uh, used to be a really abusive. It probably, I don't. I think it's shut down now. A long time ago, but he he worked for it like in the eighties or the nineties. Used to be a really abusive boys rehabilitation center kind of place, like uh, like a really messed up youth prison. So he was like a counselor there or whatever. So I, I so I feel like he should have known that I had like PTSD from childhood that there was something wrong because I was in the house and my dad murdered my mom and my grandpa, like I, when they, he came in and killed them, like shot him at close range with a thirty out six, so loud gun. You know what I mean? I'm in a crib, man. I'm four sorry. Months old. I mean, that's ter- I'm sorry. So, that's terrible. so I mean that like I tell I've told that story a lot, and so like I, I'm kind of callous when I say it. So don't get me wrong; it still hurts, but yeah. it's it's like I I've kind of gotten. Uh, to the point where I can talk about it and the amazing power of forgiveness when you forgive someone like that. Like, and uh, he, he gave me a sincere apology uh, three or four years ago, I think three years ago. Uh, I talked to him from prison and I've met this whole side of the family and uh, you know, he's been in there for 34 years and he's really mental and it's hard to talk to him sometimes, but, uh, but you know, it's, it did a lot for me to forgive him and to confront that. And, and so I've done that. Um, that's outside of agape, but you know, I didn't feel like I fit in with the family because of that. And my mom was, uh, is my, uh, birth mom sister. Mm-hmm. So my aunt, so she felt a real big uh, burden to raise me, you know, but 
But, you know, like my mom was uh, the 1950s kind of housewife mom, you know, like my dad would choke me out. Bill would take me and choke me out, pin me up against the wall and I'd turn blue and she would just turn the other way kind of thing. And that continued. And, you know, I would destroy things, break things. And, you know, one time I, I didn't know this until later until kind of recently, I kind of figured this out that people with PTSD, they dissociate. So we kind of like hop, like, that um we uh sometimes don't have full control but we can kind of see what's going on like we're in a rage because our adrenaline Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a primal thing because we get stuck in like fight or flight or combination of both and we our brain just checks out you know um it's especially bad if you drink which is why i don't drink anymore i've been sober for since june of 2019 that's great um yeah, it's really helped me a lot. I never thought I would be, nobody ever thought I'd be the person saying that I had a really bad drinking problem because I was suppressing all the memories from Agape and from my childhood and from the boys' home and from my dad and uh, just really didn't want to deal with them. Because um, when you think about it, they make you feel powerless. Like right. like you, and, and nobody likes feeling like that, especially men. There's a social stigma that makes us feel less of a man, like, if we have to admit stuff like that. And so, but yeah, Bill used to choke me out. He said that he was, he was uh, friends of Frank and he said that it was my fault. Frank was dead <laughs> uh, because yeah, he said that if I hadn't been born and maybe Frank would be alive, I guess. And just this, this stuff that you should never tell a kid. And uh, one time he was choking me out. I actually called the cops on him. I got the nerves to do that. And that was kind of the, that was the last straw, I guess. Like that's when he sent me to a boy's home. That's when like, uh, at the boy's home before agape, I, uh, the programs, uh, the, the wife of the program, uh, leader, uh, I woke up to her trying to undo my pants. <laughs> like the other kids were off doing chores. Uh, I was, I passed out on the couch and I woke up and I was like, Oh my God. And she's like, if you tell anybody, you know what I mean? Freaked out on me. I ran out of the house and like, she was like, get back here. And like, I was in trouble how, for how running old you, off. How old were you? When I, I didn't had, say anything. Trying? I was, that was when I was 12. 12 and um, she was trying to undo your pants. Yeah, she, she did. Uh, I zipped my pants back up and ran out before she wow. could, you know, yeah, she was obviously look like she was going to like suck me off or something and then kind of, you know, go for there. And so I was kind of like, whoa. Um, and so like, you know, that was my first kind of like, uh, experience with something like that. The kids beat each other up all the time in the boys home, but, um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of other stuff that happened there, but you know, that was, that was in a boys home that's closed. And I, I know we're talking about agape today. Right, right. And so, uh, you know, in that boys home, I mean, I saw a lot of the same stuff. I, I saw people, I got my head actually put through a wall in the boys home. Mouthing off to somebody, yeah, they, and they put my head through the plywood, and then they made me fix it. <laughs> they made me patch up the wall. <laughs> so not only did they yeah. put your head through the wall, you had to fix the wall after that. <laughs> I had to fix nice. it. So, nice. so that place was crazy. Like I had oh. to, I, I had a, a, a chain, I had a chain tire on me at one point in time. I had to drag up this hill, and they were like chasing me with a suburban honking at me and it was snowing like that that place was nuts um they made me do just crazy things uh but that place that place uh should 
ran off to Mexico and Um, and so I went to the same school and I kept showing up at school, like with black eyes and, you know, started cussing and starting being a troubled child, but that wasn't me. And so the teachers were like, what's going on with you? So eventually I got pulled from that place because, uh, not because of the black eyes or the, you know, or the sleep or the sleeplessness or the molestation or anything, you know. The parents uh, found out that they snuck me into an R-rated movie called House on Haunted Hill, and oh, then uh, okay. <laughs> let me. Yeah, I love that movie. And then, and then the Matrix when it came out. Okay. So I guess that was child abuse is okay. R-rated movies bad. <laughs> so they, they pulled me out, and then they promised me. Bill was like, "I'll never send you to another place like this ever again." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." And so, but about three months later, I got the phone call. I heard it from somebody from Agape talking a place and I was, I overheard it and, and I ran off into the woods and like, we lived out in the, about 20 minutes outside of Primeville out in the middle of nowhere. And so I, you know, no, I didn't really have a plan. Like, you know, like it, it takes too long for me to get into town and my dad last, most times when I would run away, he could mobilize the police force pretty fast because he was a parole information officer. Right. So, um, he, <laughs> every cop was looking for me, you know, in central Oregon um so yeah so he he now runs touchdown transport inc and he uh transports kids to agape he basically profits off of suffering and trafficking like that um i was transported to agape so these transport agents came they took me out of the bathroom and transported me out to agape um they gave me a leg brace they took me on a plane they told me I could do it the easy way or the hard way. And the hard way was if I struggled, I have to put me in shackles and in a van. <laughs> and so I didn't want to go cross country in a van and shackles. I just didn't seem fun. And so I, I said I'd go the easy way. And so they gave me a leg brace at the airport and told me to pretend that my leg was hurt because they can't legally transport people. I don't think on the airplanes, if they're in custody like that, I'm not sure what the laws are in some states, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's my first experience with transport agents. And they told me it was going to be this lovely school. It was co-ed and they have a pool and, you know, all these beautiful things that were not true. <laughs> and so, uh, when I got there, uh, I was rudely awakened by, uh, brother Vandercoy, uh, this really big, tall, burly ex-Marine guy that ran the boot camps uh, went through my bags in front of Mr. Clemenson's. Like, you can't have this, you can't have that. And I mouthed off. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something that really pissed him off. And he smacked me across the face and it knocked me to the ground. That quickly. So right away, they sent that message. They sent that message. (laughs) You mouthed off to me, we're going to beat the shit out of you right right away. It was pretty, it was a pretty immediate, like, backhand to the face, spam him on the ground. Big guy, you know, and I was 6'2 back then. So, I mean, he he hit me pretty hard. Uh, And so, and Mr. Clemson didn't flinch. He kind of almost laughed. He's kind of a smirk. And he's like, not in front of Mr. Clemson. Don't mouth off. That's the that's the program manager. That's that's the you you don't disrespect him. And like, I was like, whoa, okay. It shocked me, and I was like, all right. So then I didn't really talk much. They took me down. They strip search you. 
I put you in these really tight jeans and this bright orange shirt. So if you run off, they can see you. And if you mouth off too much or you think you're a suicide risk and they take your shoelaces. I had that happen to me once, but quickly got my shoelaces back. Um, I can't remember what I did. Uh, it was when I was new where I was demanding my phone call because I was saying it was like jail. And I was like freaking out the first night. And people were like, you don't understand. You don't have rights here. Nobody cares. Nobody's here to hear you. You know, we're just gonna. You can't tell your parents anything that happens here. If you do, you're gonna. You're in even more crap. So you learn really fast that you just you're stuck. You can't really tell them the truth on the phone. They're listening. You can't tell them the truth in the letters. They're listening. If you do, you get beat up, restrained, put on a wall, put on no talking, all kinds of things. Lots of hold on. Let me let me let me stop you here because I I want to yeah. hear specifics about what is it to be beaten up there what is it to be restrained there because i want to hear as many specifics as i can about what mm-hmm. they did to you and how they abused you so when you say they beat you up give us some examples of how they beat you up over the years you know i was lucky where i didn't i kind of flew into the radar i, I was kind of considered a do writer at one point even quote unquote uh i just didn't <laughs> I, I i went with the program and i got a little bit brainwashed for a minute um, it wore off pretty quick when I got out of there, but, uh, I, I did see some kids that were, uh, restrained a lot. Um, and when I say a lot, I mean, they just mouthed off and somebody would come over, slam them to the ground and we're talking, put them in arm bars, you know, with their head, you know, their knee on their back or possibly their neck. You know what I mean? I, I, I've, I've gotten kicked in the ribs and stuff doing pushups and like have my a knee on placed on. I was doing push-ups, stuff like that. Like I've seen kids thrown into the wall. I've seen kids like, uh, but mostly when they're restrained, uh, we're talking one to three pretty big staff members usually jumping on a kid. You know what I mean? And as we've seen in some places, uh, that can kill a kid. Uh, There was a kid that died just recently through a sandwich. And uh, so it just really concerns me, especially with Brian being back, uh, Brian was there a little bit when I was there, uh, not a whole lot, but I heard a lot about his, you know, Jurassic elbow and other things. And I saw him punch a kid <laughs> in the jaw and knock him to the ground. Um, and then he just kind of disappeared after that. So, and then I heard rumors that he was gone for a while to escape any kind of like, uh, I guess any kind of like, punishment because there's like statute of limitations that's the rumor there's other rumors too i mean alan you know and his whole the whole drama there with alan and and his kid and and the sex abuse or whatever and there's all kinds of crazy things that just happen when you're there and you just you some of it you don't know about until later some of it you knew when you were there there was a guy that offered me steroids a couple different times yeah, they had a problem with that. Like, there were some staff members that were like getting high on horse tranquilizers and stuff, and like they were offering the students and stuff. And I'm not sure that some of that wasn't like sexual or whatever. It's like there's some weird stuff going on. Um, but it happened with like two different staff members, I guess. So they just kept getting into like the some like, somewhere in the the because we had horses and stuff. I'm sure that they. They figured out how to get get high off that, but that was uh, that was a problem more than once. 
<laughs> there was more than one staff member that was fired for that. Uh, I think some kids, if I wasn't mistaken, did get high with them. So um, now you you mentioned also sexual abuse. Did you witness any sexual abuse? Were you sexually abused? Did you know of anybody that I was? A, or? I have a a memory that I just I don't really. I've talked about it in my um, my testimony, and it's hard for me to go over because it's so fuzzy and it's mm-hmm. and uh, it's like it doesn't seem real, but it does. And I remember being forced down and forced to to suck somebody off in the shower, but I don't remember who, and I don't I couldn't tell you when. I remember going to the bathroom at night. We had to check in with like a section leader and then to write our name down. And uh, I just remember this person being in there. And then grabbing me and forcing me. So that that memory is <laughs> it's kind of haunting. I want to believe it's just because I was molested in the other, you know, I had other encounters in the boys' home, and that maybe I'm getting things confused my traumatic brain over time because I have PTSD. I have a CPTSD and a MDD or major depressive disorder as well. So, um, you know, I, I do have depression and, and a lot of um, and trauma from what I've gone through. But I did hear about other students that had uh, encounters with staff, uh, encounters with other students. Unfortunately, there's a student that told me, and I won't say it. I'll let that student come out with it if they Yeah, I wouldn't repeat today. the name. Yeah, just say it in general. I'm not going to. But there is somebody that was molested. Uh, was was sexually assaulted by another student when they were there, okay. uh, and so you know there's that that does happen. There's physical abuse too between staff and student, but also student to student, right? Because uh, some of these students had rivalries, or um, you know, some were in gangs, or uh, they were just they didn't like each other. You know what I mean? Like some like there was some racism. Uh, I definitely think there was some racism on the part of the staff. Now, did the staff, did they encourage the boys to hurt each other? Because I've heard about that circle of hope where girls were told to kind of beat up other girls. Did you have that type of situation there where they were encouraging boys to beat up other boys that maybe were acting out in their mind? I'm just going to say I'm trying to go back over the live feed right now too and watch everybody because I forgot we got people in here. And some people are just asking some questions and stuff. Uh, so say that one more time. You said, "Okay, no. I, did did you did did the school use boys to beat up other boys? Like if say say for instance, if you were mm-hmm. acting up, did they send a couple of boys to come in and beat the shit out of you? You know? Yeah. Um, so exactly. So the boxing thing didn't happen when I was there, and they were complaining all the time about how they took it away. Some of the older students turned staff like uh, Scott and like some of the uh, was it Dubar or whatever uh, married the Cleveland's daughter Anne or whatever he would complain oh bring back boxing and Brian complained about it when he was there and and they didn't have it when I was there and it was because I guess it was too it was too risky they knew that it could get some people get hurt and stuff but I heard they'd bring that back or have brought back um, and then also on top of that, uh, they didn't seem too concerned about people's health when it came to like breaking in horses. There was a kid that was stepped on by a horse, um, medical, like I had back issues. I still have back issues. Like I have to have a second back surgery. I complained about my back hurting 
I have a Fisher disc at age 18. It just ripped and it pinched my L5 S1 nerve roots, the sciatic nerve roots. And so now I have constant sciatic for 16 years, very painful. And I'm trying to get, uh, I'm getting another laminectomy to get kind of remove the tissue around that nerve. It's, it's, uh, just firing off and causing me lightning like pain all the way down my spine and uh, down my leg. Um, so that, uh, you know, I complained about my back. They didn't care. They didn't take me to go see an, a specialist or get an MRI. If they had, they would have known. They would have possibly been able to intervene. I saw a kid get his collarbone broken, and they just thought he was faking it. They left him on, on the, the like dining room area for like ever, just like in pain. And then they finally took him to the hospital. I have a scar on my finger where a grill scraper cut to the bone. And I had to like have like six or seven stitches. There's this big scar. And uh, they didn't want to take me to the hospitals. And I just kept bleeding. And it filled up like a whole like huge industrial sink full of blood. And I was feeling really dizzy. And then they took me to the hospital. And I finally got me stitches. So, I mean... They were really bad, right? <laughs> like about they had these work crews where we're hauling rocks. I, I'm sure that's what kind of broke my back, you know, over time. Like we were handing, holding these big rocks like in our arms in these big long lines for, you know, a while until we could put them on this pile. Basically doing the work of a truck or like a backhoe or like a crew like of old adults, that, you know, with shovels and gear, like a wheelbarrow. So that, that breaks down your low back after a while. And there's been a lot of students that have come forward and told me about their back. Uh, like, uh, I believe Colt Rackley and uh, Sean told me he, he was on last night. He's talking to me about some back problems he's had. And so uh, it's kind of common, right? So that's the physical part of it, right? It's not just uh, body slamming. It's not just, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's also the, like the hardboard crews. I remember we had to carry a telephone pole in boot camp. We, I'm not even kidding you. Like uh, David Patterson just wrote out his story, I believe, the other day. I think it was David. And he was talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. We had to carry that thing. And you think about that, you're just like, what? And we had to carry it up a hill. And then I think we dropped it once or twice, and it like <clears throat> smashed our feet. So but anyway, we had to do this until we got this, up this hill, this telephone pole. It's like, uh, I can't remember, eight, like eight of us in boot camp. So crazy things in boot camp. I remember Bannerquay had us like be in push-up position and on the white pavement. And it, like it burnt my hands so bad I still have scars. And this is what Joseph Askin was, was like kept like talking back and, and like mouthing off. And so I guess that they just keep having to be put in push-up position. So, so you, I don't want to just gloss over that. So your hands – on the hut pavement. I mean, if anybody that's done that yeah. has walked around barefoot on hut pavement, I mean, you could literally burn your hands in the matter of yeah. seconds. So they had you holding position and push up on hut pavement with your hands to the point where you had scars on your hands. Like brand new white, like bright pavement in between wow. the, these buildings by the pool. And uh, he just kept mouthing off. And so we kept passing to be, and push up position, and I could literally like smell my hand like searing. And I could st I still have scars from that and from a nail that went through my hand after the tornado. We were picking up stuff, and uh, a nail went through, and because <laughs> the kid thought it'd be fun to push me in the back, and then I fell, and like I tried to catch myself, and a, <coughs> a nail went through part of my palm. 
So uh, this this school is really dangerous. I just want to say, like, I personally wasn't slammed around a lot. There was other kids that were tossed around. We had the we had corp, we had the paddle. So oh, tell us about the get, paddle. What happened with the paddle? So, Kids would go up and see usually Burton, and Burton would paddle them, and sometimes they'd paddle until they're literally bloody raw. They sit down, and it would just <laughs> bloody shorts, you know. So and we're not so, talking. Like, we're not talking about one hit with a paddle. We're talking about we're talking about multiple dozens six, of hits, seven, eight. Yeah, and you hear them, wow, you know, and they, and they made a point of you hearing them. Um, push-ups were pretty ridiculous too. Yeah. Um, sometimes I remember when we did the thousand push-ups, like we got to a thousand, like you'd have these lists and people would have to sign their initials off like Stafford and like, and like you would just talk out of turn or something and you get a thousand push-ups. And so like you got buff, like doing that. Don't get me wrong. Like I still have stretch marks on my arms from when I was at the school. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of that. Like a lot of odd uh, punishments that are kind of psychologically damaging, like uh, sticking somebody on a wall and making them stare at and nothing for hours, and like isolating them or humiliating them. You know what I mean? Like uh, everybody's got to go do push-ups because you, or you know, like it's your fault that we don't get this thing. You know, there was a lot of pressure too. It was very quick. You know, like I still get up in the morning and thing you know i get things done like really fast like because they're like they turn on the lights and you, you know, bang on the the metal frames of the beds and get you up and you'd have like two or three minutes at the sinks i think three minutes and uh three minutes to go number two two minutes to take a piss showers were like three minutes or something how were the rest of the living conditions? How were how was the food? How were how were the beds? How were the clothing you were given? I mean, what were the rest I, of I gotta the living conditions? Like? The food wasn't horrible. Okay. I'm just gonna be honest. I helped in the kitchen a lot. The food was pretty good sometimes. Um, you know, we had quite a bit of a good food. But sometimes like so I've heard I saw some students get put on like salad for like a week and that was pretty rough. Or like if you didn't eat what you like, what was like dished to you, then you got it back cold or okay. warm, pre-warmed, yeah, leftovers another time. So uh, there was some of that, but you know, overall, pretty good when I was there. Can't complain. When were you there again? What years were you there? I was there um, from 99, September of 99, until uh, I believe towards my birthday uh, in 2003, but I, my memory is a little fuzzy there. Wow. I walked you, in you there June. Four years. Four years. Yeah, I was there for, yeah, four years. Jesus. Well, now let, let me ask you this question. Now, you're, you're out. You are doing everything in your power to get this place investigated because of the experiences that you've had and the experiences that others have had. Can you say without question that in the year 2020, these abuses are still happening or is this school changed the way they do things and they don't act like this anymore? So this is interesting. So you had, uh, who did you have? You had Sean's wife on last night. Um, Right. Nicole Markley, I believe. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. So she was 
uh, her dad's Hall, Mr. Hall, who was at the school. Um, so back when I first got out of school, my dad had, was running the transport business and everything. I was like, okay, I'm going to start speaking out about the school. It's about 2003, 2004, but there's nowhere to really speak out, right? There's like Yahoo groups. There's like messenger. There's not much there, right? And so as it developed and, and, and went on, right, uh, my dad's like, so what are you doing? Because it was affecting his business, I guess, transporting people. Because people were like, oh, I don't want to transport to Agape. You transfer people to Agape? Never mind. I don't want to work with you to my dad. So I was, I was affecting his business, and it was irritating him. Um, and then Agape kind of got really irritated about it. And so I guess he, uh, Scott Hall, I can't remember Mr. Mr. Hall's first name. We were always Brother Hall, you know. Um, so Brother Hall or whatever. Uh, tried to convince me to come back and ha see how changed the school was. They were going to pay for my time off of work, pay for my flight, pay for my motel, basically get me to shut up because I was on all of the YouTube uh, <laughs> videos saying, don't send your kid here, this is why, showing them the EPA report from when they had their problems with Inothello. And uh, I <laughs> just stirring up so much trouble that they were getting really irritated. So basically trying to buy me off. And I was like, no, I'm not going to come out there. And you know what? I have talked to students after that all the way up till just recently. They've gotten out probably the recent, most recent, like 2014. And I continued to hear the same abuse stories. I continued to hear the same punishments. I continued to hear all the same uh, problems. So... Wow. Unfortunately, I think it's still going on. I don't think it's really changed, and they're good at hiding things. Yeah. yeah, that's what it sounds like. So let let me take a break with you, Brett. And I've got you know three yeah. other people on. We have uh, you know Celtic. I want to hear from some of these have other people. Yeah, yeah. So who who else wants to go next? Who else would like to speak? I'll leave it up to you guys as to who wants to talk next. Anyone? <laughs> Um, I just wanted to, I didn't really mention, get to say too much about it last night, yeah, go ahead. but when no. they were talking about the Trinity house, the, where the boys used to like transfer, that they would bring the boy, older boys over there. Um, they turned that into a girl's school that's still open with the exact same rules, the mm. same restraints, the same, I mean, you standing in line and look in line wrong and you're forced to do jumping jacks. They go over to the boarding school, the boys' school, and they still make you do the jumping jacks in front of all the boys. And it's so humiliating because mm -hmm. you're in a freaking dress and everything's just being seen, flopping around. And they would do it to humiliate you. Jeez. And I mean, these schools go back all the way to the 1950s. Brett mentioned it last night with Lester Roloff. And Lester Roloff started these types of schools in Corpus Christi, Texas. My birth mother actually went to one of them, I found out. Uh, they had issues in the state of Texas. Lester Roloff was arrested three different times. CPS took girls out of the schools. They eventually closed their doors because of everything that was going being published about them. And they moved to Mississippi where they started a pregnant girl school. <laughs> a pregnant girl I mean, school. Wow. And they would take in pregnant girls and paddle the pregnant girls. And then they moved, they started having issues in the state of Mississippi. So they moved to Missouri. 
and started my first school. Cause like Brad, I was in a completely different school. This school, the preacher from Agape would come over to our school and preach. We would get their newsletters. It was, Hey, the Agape, we, we knew about Agape. We knew that that was an alternate. If you got, they didn't want you at our school anymore. Okay. We'll send you to Agape. Now my first school wasn't as physically harming as Agape was. I was restrained there, lost fingers in my feel finger feeling in my fingers for three months. They would never take me to a doctor because they don't want in any of these schools, they don't want you to go to a doctor and speak out. They told me that was God's judgment on me for trying to run. Mm. They use that kind those kinds of tactics in all of these schools. It's not just Agape, it's not just Circle of Hope. There's so many more. And they all, they all connect to each other. People that worked at my first school went and moved and worked at Refuge of Grace and went and to Agape. I got sent to Refuge of Grace when my first school got shut down. And it's, it's crazy how far back in our history it goes and that it's still going on because all of us can say it, it's a culture there. It's a cult and it, you know that it's going to be the same thing that you went through. Hmm. So if you had to estimate how many of these schools exist in Missouri right now, just a rough guess. It doesn't have to be right on. I'm just curious how many are out there. There's, there's Agape, there's Refuge of Grace. And then there's, I forget the name of the other one that's opening. Hmm. Legacy. Thank you, Amanda. Legacy. Yes. There's the master's ranch. There's, in, in a lot of these schools were in um, different states first and started having issues. So they moved to Missouri because yeah, like in Missouri wasn't masters. Yeah. Sorry. wasn't masters in yeah. Florida or something yeah. like that. So it's, it, it sounds like, it sounds like the state of Missouri needs to step up and change the laws in this state to prohibit schools like this from existing. However, I'm sure if Missouri changes their laws, then these schools are going to find other states they can operate in that have more lax laws. I mean, you know, I, I don't know of any in the Northeast, you know, but I'm sure there are, I mean, I'm sure they're out there and it's, I guess I need to do my research and figure out what type of schools we have in my area where, where we live, but it seems like the state of Missouri needs to step up and make some changes. Am I wrong? They do. They, it, because they can hide behind this. They are a nonprofit religious organization that that's where the state's just like whatever there's been cases of abuse i mean there was a murder in one of these schools and they still managed to stay open for years Uh, there's been so many deaths involved that it's how do they stay open well they hide behind the religion and they can get by with it the state's like okay right there there's a wall we can't do anything now and we won't do anything Oh, man. They, so, they don't have any, like Brett say, they don't have anybody they're accountable to. There's no board of education. There's, there's no, um, you know, there's actually has to be some therapy or anything like that for being a troubled teen industry. There's, they've got people in the sheriff's offices, like we were talking about last night, all the different people that work in the sheriff's office that can help squash stuff. And it just, things just keep getting buried. 
So I imagine by me doing these shows and promoting these in Missouri, I'm probably opening up a whole bunch of shit, aren't I, <laughs> by doing this? I mean, again, I live on the other side of the country, and I can imagine that. Uh, you are, and it's amazing. You are giving us such, you're trying to help us get such a louder voice because these things are not okay, and you have no idea how much we appreciate you doing this. Well, you know the old saying, ignorance is bliss. So I, my wife's always told, always told me I'm ignorant, so I, I guess we're all taking advantage of that now. But anyway, it's, I mean, for, for, for me, you you know, I started this podcast and I was a broadcasting major way back in college and I never took that path. You know, I had didn't have a great family life and I had to find a way to make money and get out of my house. So I went into another you know, line of work to make money. And then, you know, here you go. I mean, back when I was younger, podcasting did not you know exist. So because of COVID, I decided to start doing this. And for a while, you know, in my younger years, I wanted to be the next Howard Stern. So I did that for a little bit and realized, <laughs> OK, I'm old now. I don't want to be that anymore. And, you know, it took me a while to kind of find my my niche as to what I wanted to do. But really, what I want to do is to try to help as many people as I can with this platform. And hopefully, you know, hopefully the people of Missouri that listen to the show realize that, you know, our goal is not to attack your state. It's not to attack your way of life. It's not to attack your religion. You know, I know that some people are going to feel that way. But honestly, what the goal of this show is, is to shine a light on these schools that people have no idea what's really going on. I mean, I was amazed when we did the Circle of Hope show, when people wrote me private messages saying, I literally live a half a mile from this school, and I never knew these types of things were existing. I got a message the other day about Agape, same thing after our show last night, where someone wrote me and said, wow, I live in this town, and I know of this school, and I didn't realize this was happening. So I think it's important for us as responsible American citizens to step up and let people know when there are things happening again, you know, if authorities go in to this school and they, and they determine that, you know, we're all wrong, these things didn't happen. It is what it is. Then the school goes on. But if the authorities do the right thing and they go in and look at the school and realize that there are years and years and years of allegations and abuse has been happening here unchecked for God knows what 30 years, then it's time to step in and put an end to this place. And who can help with that? You know, so I don't know. You are, you are helping. It's, you know, with what happened with Circle of Hope, we got more people, you know, after your show, more people were like, what's going on? There were more phone calls. You know, they decided to close their doors. Excuse me. Well, what I, what I did also is I, you know, I I don't know how how many of you advertise on Facebook, but I'm pretty good at it. And you, you can choose on Facebook exactly where you want to advertise. So I singled out places like Stockton, St. Louis, Kansas city, major cities all around Missouri, where hopefully people who are in the news business, who are in politics and things like that, will see Maybe this, you know, going across their Facebook feed, they'll click on it, maybe listen, and hopefully it'll get across the desk of the right person that can maybe help. So we'll see if that happens. I mean, I know that we've already gotten quite a few listens across Missouri. I've been looking at the statistics today, and then once I publish this show, I think, you know, the same will continue to happen. But listen, I don't want to get too much away from this because we get other people that want to talk. So now, again, Celtic, what was your first name again? I want to write it down again so I remember. It was Amy. Yeah, Celtic, which. Amy, that's right. Okay, I've got to write it down. I have a terrible memory with names. So, Amy, do you have anything else you want to share, or should we move on to the next oh, person? I want to give time for the other ones. I just wanted to, you know, make sure people knew that these are there's other schools still going on. Well, you know, depending on what happens here, maybe we get on the list and go, and go after them one after you know, one after another and see if we can get them all closed down. 
So we'll focus on this one. If we can, if we're successful here, if the allegations all prove to have merit, then we'll go after the next one. All right. So now in the text area, Ash, you said you wanted to go next. Would you like to go next? Yeah. Yeah, that works okay. for me. All right. Awesome. Um, man, I'm just, uh, I'm actually pretty excited to be finally doing this. I, I always intended on, I had a hope of, of doing something to stop this place from continuing back when I was there. But after I finally got out, uh, my life was just so much of a wreck and, and ruined that by the time I finally got my feet underneath me, statute was way past. I just kind of lost all hope on ever being able to make a difference here. So I'm, I'm excited that somebody's finally kind of putting this together. So thank you, Brett. Really appreciate you. Um, I, I got to Missouri in 2007, and I, it, was a, it was an interesting experience, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just focus on my first day. When I got there, I was, I was very anti-religion. Um, I very much believed in my right to choose what I did religiously. My family was very religious, but very hypocritical. It didn't look appealing to me. So when I was first brought in there, I was introduced to Brother Leo, who was the principal. And uh, right away, I was introduced to their, their, their school program and paces. And I quickly figured out that they, were going to be, they wanted me to do religious work inside those paces. I, I said, well, I'll do all the other stuff, but I'm not really interested in, in participating in this. Uh, I figured, my, my thought process was America, right, freedom of religion. What's the worst that's going to happen? And I was I was in for a, a different experience there. Uh, Leo screamed in my face, made threats, told me I'd be restrained. I didn't think that sounded very intimidating. Um, they took me up to the padded palace, is what they called it. And along the way, they gathered friends. Uh, it was, uh, man, it's been so long, but it was uh, Brother Leo, Brother Brian, only, only human being I've ever truly been afraid of in my life. Uh, his soon-to-be son-in-law, I can't remember his name, and, and, and one other staff member. Uh, once they took me up there, they told me to start doing eight-count bodybuilders. Brother Brian was kind of leading that show at this point. He told me to do uh, eight-count bodybuilders. It's where you go down, do a push-up, come up, do a jumping jack. There's eight positions. And when I went in there, uh, I was incredibly physically fit. I was, um, you know, all-state track and field MVP running back linebacker. I was, I was in very, very good shape. So I didn't think much of it. But man, these things, they, they really, uh, they take a lot out of you. It's, it's incredible. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going and doing and doing these things. And, and Brother Brian's just continuing to, to, to talk at me. And he was a very disturbing human being. This was the first time that I'd met him. Uh, just the look of crazy behind his eyes that, just threatening. He was purely threatening. Um, partway, he's, he's talking about my philosophy and, and he kind of psychoanalyzing me. Partway through, we're joined by a, a fifth staff member. I don't remember this guy's name either. I, in my head, he's, he's Brother Pizza. Uh, he came from, from uh, the dining hall eating a piece of pizza. And they're all kind of mocking me. And the stuff I have to say, which I was, I was 14, so I wasn't a genius by any means. I had a lot of naive philosophies myself. And then they start telling me what they're going to do to me, how they're going to put me on the floor. They're being very creepy about it. Um, pizza guy starts smothering his face in marinara sauce, telling me how he's going to get it all over the back of my neck when I'm down there. It's just getting really weird. I'm still not worried because I f still have this naive thought that, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in America. Nothing's going to really be 
bad here. It, it, it'll, it'll work out. Um, then I realize what they're doing, and I, I being a cocky 14-year-old, I, I say to Brother Brian while I'm doing these A-Count bodybuilders, I said, oh, you're just making me do these until I physically can't anymore, and then you're going to say that I'm refusing, and that'll give you an excuse to punish me further. And he, he says, you're a clever one, aren't you? I said, well, I try. Uh, from there, one of the guys on my, the pizza guy talks to me again. I, he, he gets some, like, Brother Brian kind of like signals at him. He's kind of like looks at him, gives him a, a nod. He says something to me. I turn while I'm doing these eight counts. And on the way up, as I'm still turned to the pizza guy, Brother Brian puts his palm to my temple. I black out, hit the ground. And then when I wake up a second or two later, they've got me stretched out, one guy on each of my limbs. And you have to keep in mind, these are not – so at this point when I went in there, I, was, I wasn't very large. I was maybe 5'7", 140-ish pounds, 145 pounds. Um, these guys are huge. I mean, good God, Brother Leo. I don't know, man, 300 pounds? That, that guy was big. Uh, the smallest one was probably at least 200 pounds. So they're taking their elbows. They're taking their elbows. And, uh, and their knees and, and, and digging uh, them into me. Again, I'm, I'm starfish, flat on the ground, my face face down. And they're, they're, they're you know, manipulating my pressure points on my thighs, on my arms, one staff on each of those limbs, while the fifth guy is intermittently talking at me or walking around or working on my spine. And I thought I was a strong person. Yeah, I, I sports my whole life. Grew up on a horse ranch. Like I, I've been through a lot of, had some decent scrapes and bumps and bruises along the way through my life. Um, within five minutes, I was, I was screaming. I, I mean, I was absolutely screaming. Within ten minutes, I was crying and begging. Within, I don't know. I mean, time was a little warped, but I broke very quickly. I told them anything they wanted to hear. I would have done anything they wanted me to do. I was just screaming for mercy. After, I don't know, some undetermined amount of time, my body just started reacting of its own accord, and I just started pulling in. I was pulling in so hard. I, I, I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I was pulling in so hard that I was moving these 200-pound guys, one, you know, one on each arm, and then my legs curling into myself to try and get away. And the fifth guy sits on my back, and they stretch me back out, and they keep going at it. And they're everything from like taking my like, taking my legs, putting them over one another, balancing my balancing the, their body weight on my my shin, and bouncing on top of me, going up and down my spine, on my neck. I mean, I was I've never felt that level of physical pain in my life, and I've gone through surgery without anesthesia, minor surgery, but I've gotten stitched up without any sort of numbing, nothing ever ever heard like that they had me down there for a long time i i, I don't have I, I took a lot of notes secretly in my bible and uh i haven't looked at it in a lot of years but because everything was so regimented on the schedule I, I figured out i was up there for a little over two hours so so most them doing the eight count thing was a half an hour the rest of it was them having me down those mats when they finally got off of me i mean i i, I couldn't speak i was hoarse coming absolutely i think they got off of me finally because i peed myself and i was completely drenched in sweat and they were just a little grossed out um i couldn't move they told me to get up 
and I, I couldn't. <laughs> Brother Brian told me if I didn't get up that it would start again. I somehow got up on my knees and, and pushed myself up against the wall. My legs wouldn't work. My arms weren't, wouldn't work. My body just, I didn't, I, I didn't feel anything anymore. I, long story short, I hobbled. I couldn't walk properly for at least, at least three, four months uh, until my legs finally came back. My arms never did. I, the next six months there, full six months, I, I could not use my hands. I was tortured again and again and again because I was, quote, faking it. I couldn't open my hands. I couldn't grasp anything. And it wasn't that they were completely numb. It's that they just didn't work right, and they were perpetually asleep. It felt like ice fire all up and down my arms constantly, 24-7. Any little touch was excruciating. And being on those forced work details, being on all the other tortures that they inflicted on us, it was it was insanely painful. To this day, I, I still don't have proper use of my hands. It never came back. My right, my right came back to like eighty percent. My left never really did. I can't feel anything on my 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 middle finger over my pinky. Besides constant ice fire, the muscle structure there sucks. It's it's a very frustrating <laughs> experience being permanently damaged like that. But long story short, that was that was my first day at Agape boarding school. And, it just and that was the first there. day. Wow. Yeah, that was that was day one. <laughs> All right. Well, what else can you tell tell us about maybe some of the other abuses that you either had perpetrated against you or things you witnessed? You know, physical, emotional. Did you know of sexual abuse? You know, what else did you experience? And I guess what else did you maybe see or witnessed? I got. Brother Brian took a special interest in me. I don't know, I don't exactly know why, um, but he really, really took a special interest in me. Um, I, so I'm actually straight, I'm actually heterosexual, but I, my whole life I've come off as gay. For whatever reason, I just put out that vibe. I did a lot of theater, I, I don't know, whatever the reason I come off as gay. That's one of the things my family told them when they sent me there. So, he, he really has a thing against homosexuality. It, it rankles him particularly. Um, like I said, I, I, he's the only human being I've ever actually been afraid of. I've been in some pretty intense situations in my life. I, I, I work in the security industry. I've had a lot of crazy stuff, but I've been held at gunpoint. Nothing has ever made me fear someone like him just looking at me. After, after, I, uh, after I've been there for a little while, I, I, after about a month, I realized that, that I wasn't getting out. And they told me, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but they told me that Missouri law worked different. And I was stuck there till 21. And I just, I, uh, I, I crumbled. I fell apart. Um, before going there, I was looking at full red scholarships for football and for track. I had my whole life ahead of me. I was a fantastic student. Uh, I, I actually received an award for being the highest GPA holding triathlete in the school. I really, ha I felt like I had my life planned out. After learning that I wouldn't be getting out till I was 21, I realized that college was not going to happen for me. All my dreams were, were just gone. My, my pets would be dead by the time I got back home. And I just, I just kind of fell apart. Um, after that first phone call with my family and they told me that they would not be bringing me to pull me out. I really did fall apart. So uh, I ended up trying to commit suicide. 
not the proudest moment of my life, but I, I just kind of lost all hope. And it was such a horrific place. I couldn't imagine that many more years stuck in that place. So on one of the work crews, I found a, uh, <laughs> silly. I found a light bulb that had been shattered. So I, I, I took the glass and I, I later that evening used that to open up an artery. The problem was it was a light bulb and that glass is very thin. So uh, it kept on, it kept on snapping and I, I couldn't do enough damage to feel comfortable that I was going to die. So I tried hanging myself with a bathrobe and long story short, it didn't work. And that began the true craziness <laughs> that I went through there. Um, I was assigned, uh, so they have a, a buddy guide system, right? They, they, you're the buddy and they assign you to an older student as a guide. Really, that's a way to, to manipulate those students. It's a way to, Brother Brian is a brilliant mastermind of psychology and group think and mob mentality. He uses it to manipulate the students to, to police themselves and he creates little enforcers. That's why so much of the staff are former students. It's all based on brainwashing. So he assigned me to a personal torture uh, to make my life a living hell. He picked too well and they had to pull me away from that, that, that student within 24 hours because he split my skull open on a pole. Um, he, he was verbally praised for his efforts in, in torturing me. Uh, and his only consequence was he was taking off do-right status, which he was very upset about because he, uh, he could no longer get his food first during meals. They assigned me then to a, a, a different type of torture, somebody who wasn't going to be as physical but was far more sadistic on a psychological level. They really... The, so the hardest thing they did, the worst thing they did to me that, I, that, that broke me the quickest was food. Um, they really fucked with me with food. When I got in there, I was 140, 145 pounds. And, and it, we hey, brother, I got to tell you, just yeah, take a second. I got to tell you, I think you're doing a great job. You know, take a second. And, you know, for me, I, I honestly wish I could give you a hug. I mean, to hear all the things you've gone through in your life and the dreams that were taken away from you and the feelings of hopelessness that you had. I mean, it literally breaks my heart. You know, I wish there was something I could do to go back in time and lessen some of the pain that you've been through. But I can tell you one thing right now. I'm going to promote the hell out of this show. People are going to hear your story in the state of Missouri, and this school is going to have to answer to the things they did to you. They are going to have to answer to the way they treated you. They're going to have to answer to the abuse that they put upon you and the other students in this school. You know, I was sad last night. I literally did not go to bed till 2 o'clock Eastern time because I couldn't think about anything else other than the stories that I heard. Your story right now is honestly going to haunt me thinking about the things that you've told me. I am heartbroken. I have tears in my eyes right now as I listen to you. And I know everybody in this room right now, you know, is giving you love. And we all wish we could reach through the computers or microphones or iPhones and give you a hug. So, brother, I am sorry that you've been through all this. And I think you're doing a great job telling your story. I just wanted to give you a second just to kind of breathe a little bit. But if you want to go on and tell us more, that's great. If you need to take a break, that's fine, too. I appreciate it, John. Thank you. I, um, so, 
we, we were given a limited time to eat. Uh, during meals, fault would be found with me for a host of, of minor or unknowable offenses. It could be anything from looking up from the table, which I did not do, a glance. Uh, they would make things up to, to justify continuing the torture. So... I'd be forced to do push-ups or eight-count bodybuilders or other physical tasks at meal times, which, which effectively prevented me from eating. Uh, any food that wasn't eaten would be frozen and given to me at the next meal. I wasn't allowed to have any other food until I finished the remnants of the last meal. Because of this, one meal could take two, three, four days to finish. I have major, major food trauma from uh, from being in there. I developed um, some weird stuff. I, I I don't ever feel full. I don't ever feel not hungry. I when I first got out, the first five or six years were the worst. I would eat and eat and eat until I puked a couple times a week at least. It was I just didn't have that off switch anymore. I also developed a lot of weird food aversions. I can't do leftovers or I get physically ill. I know it's mental, but I, I, I just can't do it. Um, certain foods, let me tell you, there is nothing worse to eat in this world that I have found than runny scrambled eggs that have been frozen and de-thawed four or five times in a row. Um, it, is, it is truly disgusting. So because I wasn't allowed to eat, uh, I, I resorted to some disgusting things. I, I, I was getting food out of the garbage when they weren't watching, when I'd be on one of the work details, stealing unattended condiments off of the table while we'd be doing bear crawls around the mess hall. Um, I even resorted to eating grass and flowers just to have something in my stomach. When, when I got in there, I was 145, 150 pounds. Uh, within a few months of doing this, they, uh, they were doing physicals and they started to get a little worried about me so they had me do a physical and I weighed in at 117 pounds I, they didn't just limit it to food though they they limited it they, they extended that to water so I was completely taken out of school for the most part um, almost the entire time I was there uh, I was put on forced work details so I spent all day every day that I wasn't in church or being tortured in the mess hall out on physical work detail Needless to say, I was incredibly hungry and incredibly and more so thirsty. I was limited to one cup of water per meal and one, maybe one water break per chunk of, of forced work detail. So breakfast, so right after breakfast to lunch, then from lunch all the way to, to, to dinner. Uh, because of that, I was, I was obviously constantly dehydrated. Um, I resorted to, to using my, my shower time to drink instead of actually bathing. That lasted not very long because they figured out what I was doing, I, probably because of my degrading hy hygiene, the smell. So after that, a staff member was assigned to watch me shower, so I, I couldn't drink that water. Hygiene, hygiene was crazy. Um, base, anything basic medical care just was not an option. And it was a problem, though, because there was a constant destruction of your body happening. So little 
things would accumulate and become much, much larger problems. I mean, on the, on the, the small side of things, I wasn't allowed to brush my teeth. I wasn't allowed to use a toothbrush for four, four months, five months um, straight. So that got nasty. I uh, ended up having to have a tremendous amount of dental work done when I got out. Um, almost lost a tooth completely. A lot of painful stuff there. On the, the higher side of it, more extreme side. I, so I have very poor eyesight and I require contact lenses to function. Because I wasn't given time in the mornings to put them in, I was forced to wear them indefinitely. And what I, when I say I wasn't given time to put them in in the morning, what I mean by that is we were given, first of all, we were given limited time at the sinks to start with. But instead of being allowed to use the sinks, I was just forced to, to exercise. I was just constantly tortured. And it's exercise, exercise. don't get me wrong, exercise isn't torture. Exercise becomes torture when you're deprived of food, you're deprived of water, and you're forced to continuously do rigorous and grueling exercise constantly, day in, day out, for months at a time, under threat of more physical violence, which is then enacted when you can't go any longer. So when I say constant torture, I, I do mean constant torture for those reasons. So I didn't have time to put my contacts in in the morning. I couldn't not have those in though. I tried that for a couple of days and it was bad. I had like one of the things they did with us is they would give us these huge PVC pipes and they'd make us uh, brother Scott, brother Scott. He loved one of the, <laughs> pretty sure he was on steroids. That guy was huge. Um, he would chuck these huge PVC pipes at us back and forth. We'd have to go back and forth and we had to catch it and we had to throw it back. I am completely blind. Mean, I'm blind, blind. It's, it's bad. So trying to do things like that without my corrective lenses, without contacts, just meant I had a lot of things slammed into my face repeatedly again and again and again. And when told, when, when saying, I, I, I can't see, well, that's my fault. That's, that's my problem. I, uh, I shouldn't have done the things I did, like trying to kill myself <laughs> to, to, to get these kind of punishments. So I instead just wore them and I didn't take them out. Because I couldn't remove or and sterilize them nightly as you're supposed to, I developed conjunctivitis. When I was refused medical care, it became chronic. One of the symptoms of conjunctivitis is, is bright red eyes. Uh, and it got, it got ridiculous to the point where it was deemed to look, quote, demonic. And I was further harassed and tortured by not just the, uh, not just the staff, but the other boys. Because I looked demonic. Refrigerator. Um, I'm grab one. Hey guys, if you have if you have your mics on, just be careful because we can hear everything. Okay, so just try to mute if you're uh, if you're not on yet. Oh my bad. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, I'll tell you, you. You've told us a lot. Let's let's make make a move over and speak to who is next. I can't remember. Did I say Aaron? Are you next? Aaron, you ready to go? Hello, can you hear me? Hey, there you go, Aaron. All right, and we'll, we'll come back to you also, Ash, if you have more to say. But Aaron, why don't we get into you a little bit, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about when you were at Agape and what your experiences were as well. Okay. Um, I was at Agape from uh, May 2009 until July 2011. Um, and um, so I was transported there by a uh, county sheriff um from the county that Agape is in. It was him and his wife. Um, 
being the transporters because yeah, he was law enforcement and she was a, uh, I forget. I, I can't remember if she was a nurse or an EMT or something. Um, but, uh, so I got transported there by, uh, that pair. And then I was there for, I wasn't even there a week. I showed up on Monday and then Saturday I was, uh, restrained for the first time. Um, I was on a work crew with Wilkie. Um, we were washing all the company vehicles and private vehicles, and uh, there was a there was a wash bucket next to the tire and one farther away from the car. And I was washing the tires, and I assumed since it was right there next to the tire that it was the one for the tire. But uh, I was wrong, and um, instead of being able to explain myself, I was put in push-up position and just held back. So I literally just sitting there doing nothing. And it was just like, that was the worst part because time went by so slow. And so I'm sitting there like trying to get back to do work because I knew that if I was working, time would go by faster. Um, and so eventually he just got tired of me trying to um, convince him to put me back to work that he took me to Leo. Um, and so Leo was supervising the Browntown students, which that's, uh, Browntown, uh, is like orientation, um, their boot camp. They change the name of it every so often. Um, but we called it Browntown cause, uh, the status was, um, was a brown shirt. So Leo is arguing with me, calling me a piece of shit, um, telling me my parents don't love me. Um, that's why I'm here. Um, and so eventually I just told, I just told him, it's like, you're a fat piece of shit. Um, so I'm starting to argue with him because I'm, I'm just tired of him. Um, and eventually he's like, Oh, you're a big guy. Why don't you, why don't you hit me? Why don't you hit me? So he's like, stand up. So I stand up, he pushes me. And as soon as he pushes me, I punch him in the face. Um, so I punch him in the face and then I immediately get tackled to the ground by him and some other students. And um, I'm restrained. It, it was more than an hour um, because that wasn't, I don't think it was 30 minutes. Uh, maybe it was about 30, 45 minutes after breakfast. And it was, and we were late for lunch by the time they let me up. Um, and James and Catherine Clemenson, at least I think that's what her real name is. She makes everybody call her ma'am. Uh, they were just standing there supervising the whole thing, watching them uh, punch me in the back of the head, punch me in the legs, um, drop their whole body weight on me. I'm, I'm sitting there just trying to fight it the whole time um, on this little gravel road behind the main complex uh, right ne next to their exotic animal um, uh, pasture area in the middle of their complex. And uh, this whole time, they're just beating the shit out of me for an hour and a half, two hours, more than that maybe. I don't remember. And I, I'm fighting back for the first little while because I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not – this isn't happening to me. And then eventually I just I just give in, and I knew I wasn't getting up. Um, by the time they let me up, uh, I think Scott Dumar was there, Leo. I don't know. I don't remember what other staff members were there. Um, but I do remember James and Ma'am Clemenson standing about 
20 yards away on the hill just smiling and looking at me. Um, and I, I couldn't walk when I got up the first time. I, I, they picked me up. I didn't even stand up myself. They picked me up, and as soon as I, as soon as I got on my feet, I collapsed because I couldn't walk. And they told me, it's like, you're going to walk, or we're going to do this whole thing again twice as long. And so, like, I forced myself to walk. Um, one of, there was two staff members on both my sides kind of holding me up while I'm trying to walk. I can't remember who they were. Um, but this was, yeah, this was a Saturday. So after, after lunch, which, I mean, if you're in Brown Town, you have to stand the whole time. You get, when I was there, it was two glasses of water per meal. Um, and I, and I, I can't remember if it was one or two peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Um, but like this whole time my legs hurt, my whole body hurt, but I'm being forced to stand up and eat my meal. And then afterwards we went to work crew while everybody else went to free time. And, uh, we were forced to carry these extremely heavy, they weren't five gallon buckets. They were, they were bigger than that. I'm not sure how or exactly um, what size they were, but they were just full of gravel, and we were just being forced to walk around their whole little. Uh, their, they have a road that like goes around the middle of their complex, and we were just we were just marching, holding a bucket in each hand. And I mean, I wasn't I wasn't a very strong person when I went. My arms are still like spaghetti noodles. Um, but like they were heavy. Um, during this time, I dislocated the shoulder. And I still have problems with my shoulder to this day from that. But uh, we were forced to walk around the circle after lunch and until dinner time um, without a water break or anything. And that was that was my introduction to agape. Wow, that is uh, again another troubling story, another troubling introduction. I guess though, at your, you know, how long were you at Agape for, and what other forms of abuse did you suffer through? Did you witness? You know, was it emotional? Was it physical? Did you experience, or were you aware of any sexual abuse? What else did you experience while you were there? Um, I did not experience or witness any sexual abuse, but there were there was lots of mental, physical, and emotional abuse. Um, Stephen Clemenson, I, I don't know how exactly he's related to the Clemensons, uh, but he would used to he used to sit there. They have like this little uh, it's not like a podium. Um, but it's like a little elevated platform and he would just sit there on the microphone and just call everybody pieces of shit and tell everybody over this microphone system that their parents didn't love them and that's why they're there. Uh, he, he would do this for hours and it wasn't even just like one day. It was like whenever it was his turn to be up there. In the chat, they just said that's, that's Brian's son, the person you're talking about. Oh, it about. is Brian's son? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Brian wasn't there when I was there. Um, but uh, we heard there was constant stories about how um, how much of a monster he was, and to me, Stephen Stephen was probably the biggest monster there that I that I witnessed. 
not like on a physical level, but more of like an emotional and mental level where he would just berate students. Um, but uh, there, Leo, Jackson, and Lopez were pretty physical when it came to the abuse. Um, one of the things I remember, it, it wasn't staff abuse, but it was student-on-student student abuse. Um, uh, it was Wilson, this giant Native American, former Marine uh, guy. He was a giant piece of shit. Um, but he was having us... This was like the third or fourth time I was in Browntown, about halfway through my stay. He was having us run the stairs on the south side of this like four-story complex where you have the locker rooms in the in the first level, uh, sleeping area the second, school third, and then the upstairs. Half of it was like a boxing. Well, at the time it wasn't boxing, but it changed to boxing. It was uh, one side was a TV area, and the other to- other side was. Uh, like pool tables and foosball tables, and I think there was like one TV and a PS2 or something. Um, with the only game being Madden and FIFA, I think there, there was only two games, and it was yeah. Um, but it was the south stairwell went from um, the volleyball court in the sleeping area up to the third level uh, where the school was and we were running those stairs one afternoon um and uh he was forcing us to push other students down the stairs um, and it was just one of those things where like you didn't want to do it but if you didn't do it they were going to restrain you and uh they were picking on this one kid uh because they thought he was gay um, they they have a real thing for picking on students that they think they're that they think are gay or or anything other than normal or normal in quotation marks to them. Um, but yeah, uh, that was that was another uh, thing that I remember. They had uh, one kid on the wall for three months. I want to say. They just stuck him in the corner on the wall where and that was that was where he lived for three months in the dining hall. Unbelievable. Jesus. So I mean, it just seems like I mean this place I mean, you you look at the website, they they try to talk about how much good they do. I mean, there is there honestly, is there anything redeeming or anything good about this school? I mean, I'm trying to find a reason why you know, people believe that this is a good place to send their kids. I mean, maybe they sell it well, maybe they market it well, but is there anything that's good about this school that any of you have experienced? The the only good thing that I can think of is some of the relationships with some of the other people that I was there with. That's it. Um, other than that, no. It has been very detrimental to both my mental health today and my physical health today. Um yeah, I, I have a four-year degree in engineering um, that I just finished, and it took me six years to do it because I had to teach myself things that other students learned in school, like how to use a computer. Um, I didn't know how to use a computer when I graduated, um, so I had to learn how to do that myself. Um, I've, had to use, I've had to learn or, 
or have teachers teach me things that everybody else in my class already knew from middle school and high school. Man, well, congratulations on getting you a degree. And, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, I've noticed listening to all of you. I mean, you're all a group of very intelligent, well-spoken, educated people. And, uh, I mean, to think that you had to go through this to get to where you are today, it just uh, breaks my heart. I don't know what else to say, honestly, other than the fact that I'm extremely troubled and sad that all of you had to go through this. And uh, I'm hoping we can make a difference. So, um, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to move over to Joseph. He's been waiting a little bit and then we're going to have a chance in the open forum. If I rushed over any of you, if there's anything that you want to say that you have not gotten out yet, you will have that chance. So please hang with us for the open forum. We had one last night that went on for a while where you were all able to discuss your experiences together. And I thought that was a very powerful part of the show. So hang in there. I'm going to switch over to Joseph really quickly. Let Joseph kind of tell us what his experiences were and then we'll go from there so joseph you ready yeah can you hear me i can brother okay so when, when were you there and what were your experiences like i'm just gonna mute and let you talk all right um well i was there from uh, october 2003 to the summer of 2005 and um yeah my experience there was horrible actually i was uh transported there by a. Uh, I guess two transport agents that my parents had to pay for and um yeah well while i was there um you know i had to adjust and i had got sick i've been sick already for like maybe like two almost three weeks three weeks and then um yeah uh i i kept telling them i was sick and you know i was fucking throwing up shitting out blood i didn't know what was wrong with me and um I finally blacked out on my 16th birthday while they were singing happy birthday to me. I blacked out on the pancake while they were singing, and then they fi- I ended up waking up in the doctor's office, and they did an x-ray of my chest. And, um, yeah, I ended up having pneumonia, and uh, I woke up in the hospital. Um, finally, I came back, I think, uh, two or three weeks later. I'm back at Agape, and... Um, yeah, I get a little better, and they try to put me on work crew again. Like, you know, it's still cold. I just got over pneumonia, and then, yeah, they're, they're over here, you know, trying to put me to work again already. But that wasn't the worst thing that happened to me there. It's um probably going to have to be the chiggers. There are these real small insects or mites or whatever, they, and they, they dig into your skin, and they live there, and they bite you. And basically, my whole body got infested, and uh, they had to take me to a specialist. And to this day, I still have skin conditions, skin problems because it is. And yeah, I don't even know how you know if I'll ever get over it because every time I look down at my legs, I'm like, damn, you know, this place really fucked me up. And you know, I seen other kids there. Yeah, I mean, I had to adjust. I was in boot camp for like almost a year. And I finally, you know, I was like, you know, you got to get with the program or they're, they're just going to keep punishing you. They're just going to keep, you know, doing what they do. And, of course, you know, I finally started stepping rank up. But, yeah, I, I mean, everything I had to do was, you know, is is what made them happy. And that's the only way you, you're going to get any leniency <laughs> or be able to do anything there. So, yeah, that's basically uh, – 
how 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 it started off for me. Yeah, so you just have to you have uh, to go along with the program. Go along with the program and take the abuse. If you don't, it's only going to get worse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and the reason why I got to go home early, um, I came back from my senior year of high school. Is uh, I needed surgery uh, on my ear, and uh, yeah, my parents came and seen me, and it was all like, damn. That they, they let all this shit happen to you, uh, and they took me. It was all like, now nah, we're taking him home today. That's it. And uh, my family was poor. I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I, I came from Long Beach. You know, my family could barely afford to pay for me to stay in there. But, you know, they, 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 they was listening to um, all the workers there, all the staff members, you know, uh, saying, oh, yeah, how good I'm going to be and how much schooling I'm doing and stuff. And none of, none of the schooling counted. That was the crazy part. I got back to my regular high school, and it was all like, "Yeah, we can't count any of these credits. You're gonna, you're not gonna graduate. Yeah, that's it." So, yeah. So now, while, while you were there, I mean, you talked about the the first year of boot camp. Did you witness any other forms of abuse to other people? Were you you punched? Yes, were, you um, hit, were you kicked? Yeah. What else did you see? Um. Well, I, I, me, I was not ever of. Uh, physically uh punched i was restrained once but then uh, i was in a fight also but you know i'm pretty sure they really wanted me to hit this kid like basically there was this kid that wasn't listening to anybody and then you know i kind of had a short temper already so they gave him to me and you know if yeah he ended up slapping you still there i think we lost you for a minute Are you still there, Joseph? Yeah. No, my phone just rang. Okay, there you go. Bad. I couldn't hear you for a second. All right, you're back now. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I would see uh, kids get, you know, uh, restrained. And, you know, they would um, – what, what um, the, dude, the other guy was talking about earlier, how they would have other kids, um, you know, hurt other kids. Uh, yeah, um, I've seen all that happen. But, you know, there was really nothing that we could do about it is – if you step in, you're getting restraint too. You, you can't help nobody out over there. And they force the Bible on you. Let's just say that, like, they tell you that the reli- the religion that you believe in, you know, you're gonna go to hell. Your family's gonna go to hell. If they keep believing in that religion, you know. And basically, if you don't, you know, um, whatever, change your religion or whatever, and follow their their beliefs, uh, they're, they're gonna shun you or you know, they'll, they'll make your life a living hell over there. So, yeah. Jesus Christ. All right. So you went through a lot as well. And it sounds like you got a little bit lucky getting out of there and not having to spend, you know, multiple year. years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I got, I got real lucky and I felt sorry for everybody else that was still there. But, you know, there's, there's, there's only so much that we could do. And, um, like, now, I'm really happy that we have this podcast and there's people actually stepping up and telling their stories now. I mean, I wanted to do this years ago, but, you know, there, I, I felt like I was by myself and there's really nothing you could do, you know? Well, you know, I'm I'm with my podcast. I'm the vehicle. I mean, you really have to thank Amanda and Brett 
for bringing these things out into the light for everybody. I mean, if it hadn't been for my daughter, Caitlin, and I'm watching her actually clean out our chicken coop right now as I'm speaking, you know, a real professional studio <laughs> that I have. But if it wasn't for my daughter, Caitlin, seeing Amanda's video on TikTok, I would have never been aware of this happening. So my daughter reached out to Amanda. My daughter's 15, and Amanda contacted me. We did the show about the Circle of Hope. We got that closed down, and now we're here you know, talking again about Agape with a, a school that has, from what I can see, 135 students there right now. So, you wow. know, for me, I'm just thankful that we were able to get together. And, of course, you've yeah. got Brett that's a big advocate as well. And I think it's important. You know, I know that everyone here has been through a lot of stress. You've been through a lot of bad things in your life. You've had a lot of negative things happen. But I think everybody really has to work on pulling together and work working together yeah. to get this thing done. Because I think if all of you can stick together and continue to tell your story, I mean, hopefully it'll be my show that gets this, this place investigated, but if it isn't, maybe it's the next podcast or the next news story or the next newspaper article. I mean, you really need to organize, pull together and continue to fight until this place is closed down. And hopefully mine will be the one that gets it done. But if it isn't, it's, it's one more cog towards getting the school investigated. And if there's impropriety, like we all believe that there is, then they will be shut down. So we could just hope that that, that happens. So uh, do you have anything else, Joseph, or should I move on to Josh? Oh uh, yeah, you can move on to Josh. Thank you for uh, your time. Right. Yeah. Like I said, hang in there. Cause we're going to have that open forum after Josh speaks. So Josh, welcome to the show. And if you could tell me again, same as everybody else, what years were you at Agape? And uh, I'm going to mute and just let you tell your story. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. You sound great. Oh, perfect. Awesome. I had to buy new headphones because I'm out working right now, but um, I'm on the side of the road. I wanted to stop and um, say I'm so sorry for everyone's experiences. Cause it's super hard to listen um, to this right now. It's a little overwhelming. Um, I went from, let's see, December 28th, 2000 to May 16th, May 20th, 2001. Um, my, I spent two, uh, New Year's 2000 uh, at Agape, um, and we were, well, I don't even know where to begin. So I guess I will say um, the reason why I had left is due to, uh, I was sexually abused by another student. Uh, his name was Chris Jantz, and I apologize for putting his name out there, but a part of me don't care. Um, he basically tortured me in boot camp. I was boot camp for about a month wearing orange, you know, wearing no shoes. I was put on no talking. Uh, it's interesting that someone brought up Brother Vandegoy. Uh, I remember him. Total monster. Um, it took, actually, I blocked out his last name. So I didn't even know. I remember it was Vander something. Um, and listening to the show, somebody had said his name. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's his name. Uh, so my, my parents flew out there. Uh, by themselves, I didn't go for the little tour. Um, I wanted to get out of my Christian household. I had to get out. Um, I was homeschooled for like seventh grade. So I was about 14, 15 when this happened, when I was sent there. Um, they went out, they saw the tour, they said it was amazing. Uh, I left, I had a big party, you know, on voyage from my family. Um, went out there on the 28th. And then the first, let's see, the I got there pretty late. I think the car ride was like six hours long from the airport. So I flew in pretty late around like 10 p.m. So I remember I was shoved in between all these, you know, older 16, 17 year old guys all the way there. 
and it was nighttime. So everyone was in bed by the time I got there and I get there and I had my wallet, you know, I had all of my stuff. There was no cell phones, obviously, but so basically I had to give up all of my stuff then and there. Um, I had to strip and this is the dining hall was still dark. Nobody turned on any lights. Um, so I had to strip. They gave me a bright orange shirt. Hideous. I, I hate orange to this day. Uh, and blue denim jeans. Uh, they moved me to, thankfully, because I've been hearing so many horror stories about other dorms, but I was moved to Bucky Tucker, which probably the youngest person had to be six, seven, or eight at least. Um, there was a, a Asian child, an Asian kid that his parents basically dumped him off there and would send him a birthday card once a year. Uh, but he, I think, and then there was another kid, and I, I hope somebody remembers, and I believe his last name was Naylor. He was blonde, tiny, had to be I don't know, 10. Um, so they were always in there with a bunch of younger kids. So it was like from six or seven or whatever to 15. I think I was the oldest. Uh, Brother Don was one of the only names that I actually remembered uh, before I obviously listened to these podcasts. Um, he took me in and was very supportive. Um, I have heard some things about like last night's show, him talking to students or touching students or that never happened to me. In fact, he was the only one when the shit hit the fan. He was the only one that actually spoke to me. Um, so I was put in there. Um, we woke up every day to the dong, dong, ding, dong. That stupid chime that obviously sets me back when I hear it. Um, so you would be up at seven, get ready. You had to make your bed military style. You had to have an inspection so they go by and then inspect. And if you did it, then you got push-ups. Um, then we would go to school. I'm sorry, we would go, we would have to haul rocks because you had to earn your meals. So we would haul rocks, like they were saying, back and forth um, before breakfast. Then we, I think we would do like Bible reading and then we'd have breakfast, go back to, to our bunks, change, work, a, go to school. Then uh, on our way to lunch, we had to work for another half hour or whatever, hauling rocks. Um, and then we would eat lunch. And they said be the same thing over and over again, right? You had to earn your meals. You had to earn everything. You had to memorize five Bible verses a week. Uh, nobody's brought that up, which I'm surprised. Um, and if you didn't, you were placed on the wall, which I have had some crazy ADHD. So it was really hard for me to memorize things or even to focus. Um, so I was put on the wall for a good amount of time. And if you didn't memorize the verses, they would swat you. So thankfully, I ended up memorizing those verses because I was not swat at that point. Um, I guess we could just fast forward to the sexual abuse. So I was in, so uh, through boot camp, uh, Chris Jantz treated me like ultimate shit, uh, making us carry these pallets. And I'm 15 and I weigh maybe 100 pounds, like tiny, tiny little boy. And obviously, <laughs> shocker, I'm gay, right? So they treated me even worse. So I finally got out of boot camp. Woo, I can go to school now. So I go to school and I'm sitting next to, I believe his name is, Robert Askins, I believe if anyone remembers that name, he was treated like complete crap. Uh, he just, so we had these, I don't know if you get anyone's been on the website and it kind of, there's photos of in the school where they have, you're at these long tables and there's these green barriers on each side of you. Well, it's easily accessible for you to put your hand, you know, underneath. So that's what he did a couple of times. And I had to, you know, throw his hand away and I wasn't, down for that I may have and I didn't even I didn't even really know my sexuality then but it wasn't it felt wrong and I I didn't like it so I stayed quiet um that night I went I woke up brother Don at like three in the morning and I 
I had to explain what had happened. So the next day they move him out of Bucky Tucker. His parents flew in. My parents had just, were going to fly in in April. Uh, and so everyone was told, and I believe he left. I, I don't remember if he left or not. And so fast forward possibly a month, my family comes to visit. They take, you know, you can go like it's a weekend. You can't leave the school though on your first visit. Uh, and I was begging and screaming and crying because like everyone said, you can't write letters. You can't say it in the letters. You can't uh, say it on the phone because they monitor everything. Um, and if you don't, then you get put on no talking, you get put on the wall where you have to eat all your meals last. You know, you stand an hour, sit an hour, stand an hour, sit an hour. Uh, and so after my parents left, obviously my mom was like appalled and said something to them. I'm assuming, I don't know. Uh, but after they left, I was put on no talking by brother Vandercoy um, and the wall because I had told my mother what had happened. So I was begging. I was like, crying. Do not leave me here. You need to take me out of here. Um, but they didn't. Um, and I don't know why they didn't. I don't know if it was masked or if, you know, Gapi was able to hide it. But they didn't. And I was, alas, still stuck there. Um, so let's fast forward to the good stuff, I guess, in quotes. So Chris Jantz, all of a sudden, so I became, in school, I became a book monitor. So I was able to kind of have some freedom, I guess. So I was able, when people had to check out books for their paces, they would come to me. Well, Chris all of a sudden was like super nice, super like, you know, uh, grooming-like. You know, all of a sudden he wanted to be my friend. And you're starved for attention at this school. Starved in any, I mean, you can't talk to anyone. I would literally have to go into my own head and create a world that was not this one uh, and so Chris is starting to be nice to me starting to be nice to me uh, and then he we start passing notes back and forth and we eventually uh, this is like the last maybe a day or two of you know notes back and forth and then he says well meet me at the computers so whenever you had to take a test you would have to go to the other side of the room where no staff members are um, and that's where you would take your tests. And there was a bunch of desks that nobody used. As I said, how easy it was to go put your hand underneath. So we go over there. I'm sitting there. I get there first. And I was taking my test. So I told him, no, like, I don't want to do this. Right. So I'm taking my test like a good student. And all of a sudden, there's a hand. Once again, this is time two. There's a hand underneath my desk touching me. And I remember feeling like my heart was just pounding because I didn't know. It was like it was the same as when the last boy touched me, but in more of a, it was scarier. I, I felt like, cause there was no one around. He clearly wanted to do this because he followed me. I mean, he, so he goes under the table and starts blowing me. And I had my first orgasm of all time while being molested at Gothic boarding school. Um, I remember coming and, not knowing, it felt feeling like it was like I was going to pee because I had no idea what this, you know, what this feeling was. Uh, and then he asked me to do it to him. And I said, no. And then he's like, oh, do you want to kiss me? And I said, no. Fast forward a day or two. Chris is gone. All of a sudden, he's just gone. Then um, during work duty or in between school. So nobody was at the school hall, but I, they told me that I needed to go there. So they brought me there. And they were like, we have... Um, some reports of you uh, doing some sexual activity with another student. I want you to write down everything that you did, write it all down on confession and we will be lenient with you. And so that's what I did. And they basically 
tricked me into believing like it was my fault, like I wanted it or I, because I was quote gay, obviously with retrospect, yes, I am, but hey, I could be straight right now for all we know, but they made me feel like I, it was my fault. I did this to myself. I, you know, I could have screamed. I could have done all these things, but I didn't because I obviously was terrified and obviously you have no agency at the school. Uh, so Chris Chance got to leave because I think he was like 18 or something, but I was stuck there for another two weeks and I was put on, I was swatted. So Mr. Clemenson actually was the one that did it. And he told me that my mother wanted it and that um, because they had told her that I was involved in sexual activity with a student because I had asked her recently what they had told her because her and I have never really talked about it in all these years. So she said that, yeah, they, they, they said that I had done something wrong. And mind you, this is after that boy, that other incident, that other sexual incident. So then it was like, they made me feel like, oh, so were you lying about the last time? Did you want it last time? So that also messed with my head. Um, they moved me out of Bucky Tucker because they thought I was going to molest children. So I was sent to the one up. I think there's like, it's like the middle dorm between the big dorms and the Bucky Tucker. And I can't remember what it's called, Boyd or Hoyt or something like that. They moved me into there, into Chris Jance's bunk, like because Chris had left. So I had to live in his, I had to sleep in his bed for two weeks. Uh, all the staff oh, members were told. Uh, all of them were told. So I was treated like complete dog shit. People that, because pe I wasn't like sought out. I never got restrained. I never did anything. I kept my mouth shut for the most part. Once I was, you know, I saw other people get beat. Thankfully, I was never restrained like that. Um, so I didn't say anything. Um, so I didn't, everyone was really nice to me, if that makes sense, in a way. The staff members didn't fuck with me until they had heard. And then once they did, it was like they all had shunned me. Uh, so you're 15, you just got, you know, molested. And then now everyone's shunning you. They put me on the wall. I was um, on no talking with that stupid Red Rivers band. Um, and then finally, it was on a Saturday because everyone had just, so I had just got my meal because when you're on the wall, you eat last. So you have to wait till every dorm goes, all the doormen go, all of the family staff goes, all of that or whatever. You have to wait. So I remember going and getting my breakfast and going back to the wall and them coming and saying, come with me. And they brought me up to the attic. So when you get there, you have to put all your stuff in a black like trash bag and they throw it back there with a bunch of stuff. And they're like, go find your bag. And then, then and there I knew, oh my God, I'm going home. Oh my God, I'm getting out of here. So went, got my shit, um, drove the like five hours there. And I can't remember for the life of me who drove me, but they literally dropped me off at the airport and were like, have a good life. I have never been, you know, in the last six months, been away or had my own individuality, had my own privacy. Going to the bathroom at the airport was the first time I'd ever gone to the bathroom alone. Uh, and when I came back, it was the shit really at the fan because obviously they had told my mom that I was this horrible homosexual. And so that was a great conversation on a, a whole way there. I, you know, my parents were very religious. Uh, and then also two months, three months later, it had come out that two boys in the church that I had, was in before I went to the boarding school, like my home church, they were caught having a three-way with the third boy. So there was these, the three boys were, uh, had a three-way. 
Well, one of those boys was one of my really good friends, and he was the first person I ever, um, like, we didn't touch each other sexually, but it was like, you know, we were like 12, 13, uh, brotherly. It was like more like a brotherly affection. It wasn't uh, carnal or lustful or... And so he told his mother that him and I, you know, we might have kissed or done something, nothing on the privates and nothing with clothes off. So then, boom, all of it gets opened up again. I have the pastor showing up at my door, basically saying, you're not allowed to talk to Jamal ever again. You guys have to leave the church. So they tell all of my family members, because all my family goes to this fucked up church. They told all of them. And I remember walking in, I was at church before I even knew. This is before the pastor showed up at my house. So I walk into this room and all of those kids and their parents are sitting in the room. And I was like, oh, this is weird. And had I known that they were, that's where they were talking about me and all of us. So basically, and I, so it was three times. It was like three times back to back that. So my mom was like, you clearly are gay. So she started hanging up, you know, women, you know, Sports Illustrated, you know, shit up in my up in my room just so I could, you know, I guess be straight. Um, I ended up living with my grandmother after that and going to see me high. Uh, so this was the year of September 11th. So it was my first time being in high school in any social situation, really, um, in, a, in a new town. And but it was hell. So I get to my senior year and they're going through those paces and they go, well, you know what? I'm not giving you credit for that. Nope, that's not me. That's not ninth grade English. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And she literally took none of my credits. So I had to repeat the whole ninth grade year while finishing my 12th grade year. So from 8 a.m. to 3, I'd be at Simi High. And then from 4 to 8, I'd be at adult school trying to make up for these credits from Agape. Um, And even before that, I was doing summer school every year because they wouldn't take my paces. Um, And there's another thing that I wanted to mention that no one has mentioned yet is we have to grade our own paces and if you get caught i mean deviating from anything they consider it cheating right so if you if you go in and erase something if they catch you cheating you have to memorize a whole chapter of psalm and then you have to go up in front of everybody at church and then say it so it it, it basically was humiliating you into not doing that um bathroom breaks you had to go with you know 30 people and i guess masturbation was a huge issue and so they would literally have guys like watching underneath the the um stalls to see if there's any shaking or anything going on like that uh, wow just talking about it just is kind of making me a little sick here uh, kind of losing my train but it was all along it was it was horrible and it wasn't until recently that I actually told my mom everything that had happened and she was mortified. Um, as far as the letters go, my brother and I would actually write in Hebrew um, just so they wouldn't know. And then they would get super mad and be like, well, you need to make a key. If you're going to write your brother in Hebrew, then you need to make a key. So we know what you're saying. Uh, they took all of my photos of my aunts, my mom, my any, any female friends you had, they took all photos of that and I had a photo of my mom that I had uh, for the first month under my pillow. And so I would be, you know, crying and I, cause I got super sick, like full on bloody nose, horrible sick right when I got there. Cause it was obviously December 20, it was, you know, winter time and I'm from California. So I wasn't used to it. And I just remember that was the only way, I think that was the only 
thing that got me through boot camp was that photo of her. Uh, signifying some sort of hope and some sort of familiarity and some sort of love because you didn't get any love at Agape. Um, it was just control and hate and and I really want to see them go down for what they've done. And I'm really so thankful that we have a platform to do this. And I'm really thankful that um, people, you know, didn't stop when they said no and they kept getting this out and get promoting this and I've promoted it and uh, it's really important because nobody needs to be going through this. And hopefully parents will hear this and they won't send their student there. Um, so I guess that's all I have to say right now. Um, I gotta refocus because this is really intense and I didn't think it was gonna be so intense, um, but it's, it's pretty intense. So thank you for letting me speak. I appreciate it. Uh, and I kind of feel better now that the anxiety level is yeah. going down, that it's fine. Well, Josh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, you uh, know, from my perspective, you're an extremely brave young man to be able to come on and tell your story. I imagine that must have been very, very difficult for you to get on and tell people what happened to you. And, you know, I'm sure that you know this already at this point in your life. And I'm sure all of you know this. None of this was any of your fault. This shouldn't have happened. None of you should have been in this position. None of you should have had to deal with this physical abuse, with this emotional abuse, with this sexual abuse. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't your fault. You were all innocent victims. It didn't matter if you were maybe a teenager that had some issues or you did something wrong. I mean, who doesn't in their teenage years do something wrong? You know, and as far as, you know, them, <laughs> them making you feel like, you know, being gay is a sin or whatever. I mean, it's untrue. It's untrue. It's ridiculous. And the way I look at life is, and again, you know, keep in mind who I am. I'm a 52-year-old guy. I'm not a baby. You know, I grew up in a different time when things were buried, things were hidden. People didn't talk about things. But the way I look at it is, and again, you know, am I a religious person? I guess maybe at one point I was. I was a Catholic growing up in New England. I went to a Catholic high school. It was all boys. I actually witnessed abuse in that school as well. And it was buried. It was hidden. But I would say I'm more of a spiritual person. I do believe in a higher power. I do believe in a loving, you know, I don't know if I want to use the term God, but a loving power that maybe created where we are. And my belief is if you're a good person, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're gay, whether you're heterosexual. If you're a good person, if you're a loving person, if you try to do the right things in your life, I mean, to me, that is what life is about. You know, and uh, it just drives me crazy to hear that organized religions and things like that try to make you feel bad for who you are. There is nothing wrong with who you are as a person. You sound like a great guy. You sound like a loving soul. You seem like a really nice person. And you were extremely brave to come on here and tell your story. So I thank you for being on and kind of blessing us with your story. I greatly appreciate it. And just don't ever apologize for who you are, any of you. Don't let anyone ever make you feel bad for who you are. Don't apologize for who you are because we're going to dig in our heels together and we're going to have this place pay. I promise you that. And, you know, for me, I'm a person, like I've said before, fortunately, I've had a successful life. My wife and I have done very well and I'm spending my own money to promote this. Both shows, you know, I, was, I had a budget beforehand. I'm changing my budget now. I'm spending $1,000 on each show to promote them on Facebook. And the only place 
this show will be promoted. We'll be in the state of Missouri. I'm targeting Kansas City, St. Louis, the areas around Stockton. I'm targeting all the areas around the school, the major cities, the, the, the cities that have you know, big news stations, things like that. Trust me when I tell you that if you have Facebook in the state of Missouri, this will be a sponsored ad in your feed and you will read about it and you have the opportunity to listen to the interviews. And all it's going to take is one person to see that story, to click on it, to listen, that has power that's going to make this thing happen. That's what happened with Circle of Hope, and I am extremely confident this is going to happen here. So already the show that was on last night, I've been looking at the stats, and a lot of people, I think something like 6,000 people have already seen that particular post. 6,000 people, that's a lot of people, and we're going to do the same thing with this show. So, um, you know, with with Without going any further into the promotion, I mean, I, I'm confident that we're going to make a difference. I want to thank all of you for telling your stories individually. So why don't we kind of open it up, and if any of you have anything you want to say that maybe you didn't get a chance to say, maybe I cut you off too short, maybe you thought of something in the meantime, you know, why don't we start with Brett, and you know, feel free just to all you know, have, a, have a conversation together and talk about some of the experiences you had, and we'll kind of wrap the show up after we do that. So, yeah, Brett, you want to get us going? Okay, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say that, yeah, Agape needs to be shut down, but there's so many of these places. These places are a cancer on our society. Um, and it's really sad, but they have spread across the nation and, and across the world. And um, so I, I've, I'm doing a nonprofit. It's called Spare the Rod. You can find information at uh, www spare the rod dot uh, i'm sorry spare the rod np for nonprofit.com so that's spare the rod np.com i'm working on that site so <laughs> bear with me it's like a wordpress site it's kind of cheap but hey i'm paying for it and uh it's it's coming along i've got a program watch list that you can download that tells you programs that tells you if there's been a death there or not there's some other information they let kids uh like write their parents without it being censored, um, you know, and gives you some kind of like red flags and stuff to look out for in those programs as well. Um, I'm kind of hooked up with like the the people. Uh, well, I am a junior monitor um, on the uh, troubled teens on Reddit, so it's a uh, that's www.reddit uh, and then it'd be uh, you know r I think it's forward slash r and then Troubled Teens. Um, and that would be the our uh, Survivor Reddit. And uh, there's a link for it on my Spare the Rod page, on my Facebook, and on my, um, my, my website as well. And it's a great Survivor network. It's about like 14,000-plus survivors. Um, they're all their advocates. And our whole mission is to just talk about what happened to us, support each other, um, be there for each other um, and each other expose these places or write, you know, important people or do whatever we can to get them shut down. And uh, it's, it's amazing how much that, that group has grown. It's grown about 2000 people in the last year. Um, and since I've been there the last couple of years, it's grown from like 11,000. So I'd say like, what 3000 people. And so it's uh, really growing. It's really sad because that means that's a lot of abuse survivors, right? But it's also really good. It's also really good because uh, it's, it means that we're banding together. We're finding each other. 
for the strength in numbers and uh, the positivity, the, the uh, affirmation that you get when you have a bunch of people that can say, no, you didn't deserve to go through that. I went through that too. That wasn't right what they did. Um, it really is powerful. And so I hope that a lot of people will kind of tap into those networks and like find people and, and, uh, and I'll talk to you, talk to you over there on the Spare the Rod page on, um, on Facebook or through my, uh, through my email. And I'd love to work with some of you guys and gals. And, and I just, I want to get these places shut down. That's all I want. Yeah, I want to mention. So I, I, let, me, let me just mention this real quick. I see that Amanda. So that's why yeah, I, I see that Amanda posted down below right. that there's going to be a protest happening for Agape and the Wings of mm -hmm. Faith, November 14th and 15th in Cedar County. And the only reason I want to mention that mm -hmm. is when I publish this out to the platforms, people don't see the chat. So if anyone is listening in Missouri, there'll be a protest for Agape and the Wings of Faith, that's November awesome. 14th and 15th in Cedar County. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's really awesome, and I hope that like that means like they're engaging some of the youth in the area and stuff because people around the area really don't know what's going on. They see a very different thing from people like Agape. They uh, they go out and buy the community by doing cheap labor for them. You know what I mean? Like they have the kids during disasters go and clean things up, or so they, they've kind of bought themselves some political and uh, you know power essentially. Um, so, but yeah, I want to, I want to open this up for other people to talk, but uh, I definitely um, am interested in getting more information on other schools too, around uh, Missouri, around the nation really, because we're trying to get a national bill put together and we're trying to get some state bills put together, trying to work with some state reps. There's some, there's, I can't say too much, but there's some stuff that's going to come out in some newspapers so there's going to be a lot of pressure on some politicians pretty soon because of this and that. And so there's a lot coming out at once. And it's really great. <laughs> the barrage of bullets is coming out and, and karma is doing its thing. And um, yeah, so I want to open this up to anybody else that wanted to say something else real quick. And, and thank you, John. Uh, I just want to say thanks for, for your help and uh, getting this and the word out. It's really oh, my pleasure, brother. My pleasure. All right, what else you guys got? Anybody else? Uh, feel free to take the stage and say what you want to say. Hey, I have, I have something I want to add. Um, so in Missouri, there's the emancipation law. So when you're 17 years old, you can leave or uh, petition the courts saying that uh, you no longer want to be um, under authority. Um, when I was when I turned 17, I tried. Um, I was in the boot camp um, for my 17th birthday, and I tried to uh, try to get them to let me get myself emancipated, which is Missouri law. And uh, instead of uh, allowing me to do so, James Clemenson uh, told uh, right in front of me told uh, I can't remember if it was Lopez or not, but it was uh, Jackson, and they took me down to the padded palace and restrained me. Um, on my 17th birthday uh, for trying to exercise my right, rights according to Missouri state law. So not only do they, they abuse, break the law by abusing people, they also break the law by keeping people there um, longer than legally allowed to. And also uh, they had people there long after their 18th birthday because they just wouldn't let them leave.
Okay. I was one of those that was there after my right, so birthday, and I got paid. Yeah, go ahead. I was one of those that was kept after my 18th birthday at the girls part of it because they, I, the day I turned 18, I knew about the Missouri laws, but I knew that they were due. My parents weren't going to go for it. So I waited till I turned 18 and the day I turned 18, I told them I want to go home. I'm 18 now. I'm a legal adult. And they're like, well, you're, my parents wouldn't let me come home because they had managed to destroy the relationship there that I was trapped there up until I was in these schools from October 12th, 2001 to January 31st, 2006. And I escaped by unlocking doors and hitchhiking across the state of Missouri. I mean, there's when you're 18 and your relationships destroyed with your parents and you, that they can trap you. And yeah. See, that, see, I was also kept there past 18. I didn't leave until <laughs> uh, July two, 2011, which was a month before my 19th birthday. Um, since I was homeschooled and went to an occult school uh, before Agape, I had nothing. So I would have to do, I would have to do school completely over again because nothing transferred. So that's how they kept me there until, until I finished, and then I used the yeah. army to escape because I I knew I couldn't go back home. So yeah. All right. Anybody else? I know you guys have been talking for two hours, and you've gotten a lot of information out. And honestly, you know, after the show last night, you know, I like I said, I stayed up late last night. I couldn't sleep. It was literally 2 o'clock in the morning. Thankfully, Old Man had a great show on playing some ACDC and Van Halen from back in my era. So I got to listen to some of that. He just joined the <laughs> podcast, so I was pretty jacked. I saw both of those bands in concert back in the day. So that was pretty awesome. But, um, you know, after the show last night, I didn't know what to expect today. But today was as powerful, if not more powerful, than last night. And, I mean, between last night, we had seven people on. I think we had, what, another seven or six or seven again today. I mean, we've got, you know, 13, 14 people that have all gone on the record and have talked about abuse that happened at this school, you know, going back as far as the 1990s happening as recently as 2018 and again you know like i've said and i'm very clear i mean i've personally got nothing against agape i did not go there i don't live in missouri i've got no personal vendetta against the school my job here is to give people a vehicle to talk about the things that they've been through and i guess if you're a legislator in missouri if you're a news station, if you're a newspaper and you have one person that comes out, you know, maybe it's easy to discount that. Maybe it's easy to discount two people. But over the course of two days, when we put this together fairly quickly, we've had 13 people come on and tell the same stories of physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. I mean, <laughs> what else does it take to have an agency step in? and do an investigation. I'm not saying go in, shut this place down immediately, you know, whatever. But the bottom line is this school needs to be looked into and the state needs to step in and do something to protect the children that are there right now. Unfortunately, you know, all of you, you went through it. You can't get those years back. You can't get that time back. You know, the scars are always going to be there, but you know, at this point, we need to do something to protect the children are there and do 
a service for the children in the past that have been abused over the years. I mean, if you think of, you know, 135 students, 30 years, that's a lot of damn kids that have passed through this school. A lot of kids that have been abused. We're talking thousands. And if this school is allowed to remain open over the next 20 years, I mean, how many more thousands of kids are going to be abused? You know, I mean, this, this, this type of, of abuse shouldn't have been a right in 1950. And it certainly should not be happening in 2020. So, you know, for each and every one of you that came on, God bless you. I'm proud of you. What you did today had to be very hard to get on. I mean, I'm a stranger. You're talking to other strangers that are listening into the show. But what you're doing by telling your story is, number one, you're empowering yourselves, but you're also doing what you can do to make a difference going forward. And I think if you continue to work together, tell your stories, and fight this fight, it's not going to end at the Circle of Hope. It's not going to end at Agape. We're going to go after all of the schools that are treating the children this way. Because again, you know, teenagers are teenagers. They've always been teenagers. Teenagers are going to make mistakes. They're going to make bad decisions. It's part of being a teenager. But in my opinion, you need to also show teenagers love. You know, if a teenager is having a rough time, they're going through a lot. You can't just send them someplace to be beaten, to believe, you know, whatever it is you want them to believe. You know, for, for my children, just to talk a little bit about them, I don't want to go on forever. I've got four children. Now, I was a college football player. I, I, pl- I got a full scholarship to a Division One college. And I played football in college. I was a good baseball player. I was a basketball player. I was an athlete. I was captain of my football team in high school. You know, my four kids are all vastly different. My oldest son is 17. He's on the autism spectrum. He's an actor. Does he play sports? Not at all. You know, not at all. My daughter is very creative. She's 15 years old. She's a writer. She played sports for a while, realized it wasn't her thing. Do I love her and my son any less because they don't love sports? Of course not. I'd love them for who they are, their individuality, and the things that they bring to the table. My youngest two are sports guys. I love them for that. You know, they they all work hard in school. Two of my kids are really good students. The other two struggle. You know, one of my kids gets in trouble a lot. It's just part of who they are. But I had a dinner one time in Connecticut with a very wise gentleman who was the chairperson of science for the whole state of Connecticut. He went to Yale, worked for NASA, brilliant brilliant guy. And I remember when when I first had my first child, the one thing he said to me goes, did you ever clean up the couch? (laughs) Clean up that couch. But but, one of the things he said to me when I first became a parent was, you have to realize your children are hardwired with their personalities. They're hardwired with who they're going to be. The best thing you can do as a parent is to try to just guide them in the right direction. You can't make your children what you, what, what you want them to be. You have to kind of guide them into what they should be or what they are designed to be. And, uh, you know, not to go on forever, but I, I'm just heartbroken to hear what you've all been through. It really touches me on a very deep level. And I'm hoping that our show will make a difference to help all of you move forward knowing that these people that did this to you are somehow going to pay the price for how they treated you because it isn't right. And what scares me also is that maybe they don't even realize what they're doing isn't right. Maybe they believe that what they're doing is the right way to straighten somebody out, but (laughs) it certainly isn't in my opinion. So, hey, before I close this thing out, does anybody else have anything to say? Because I welcome it, and I don't want anyone getting off without thinking they didn't get to speak their piece. Go ahead. 
Um, Amanda did mention in the messages that if we get enough statements, the Cedar County Republican will read them. And if anybody wants us to give a statement to email her and her emails, the my circle of truth at Gmail, uh, because we're trying to get more and more of these stories published too in, in the, the newspapers and things too. So, and also if you have it, if you want have any questions about the protest or want to come and find out a, more information to email yeah. her, you can email Amanda. And again, if and she also has um, the GoFundMe email info because we do have a GoFundMe set up for the protest to try to help pay for other survivors to have some healing. That's great. Getting together and protesting. If any of you have a hard time reaching Amanda, you can uh, also reach me, the John DeVito Show at gmail.com. Email me and I will forward your messages on to Amanda. So if you can't access her, access me and I'll get all the information to her as well. And you know, you've come this far, you've been brave and you've told your story. It's probably a good idea if you could to put it in writing and see if you can help make this thing happen. So uh, thanks for that information. Anybody else? Are you guys all good? Hey, I have I have yeah, something. Um, so troubled mentioned in a comment earlier that if you were there after being forced there after eighteen, that you had uh, a legal case. I was just wondering how that would work because I don't know if that falls under the statute of limitations or not. Anyone? Does anyone have an idea? I, I think it's, are she saying it's against constitutional rights and there's no statute? Um, she, she also mentioned that there's Amanda was in contact with some lawyers that would be able to help with that. So, uh, and again, Amanda's emails the my circle of truth at Gmail. All right. Anybody else? Because I've also, I also have anybody else. Yeah. Uh, I, also, can you guys yeah, go hear ahead. Me? Yep. Go. Oh, so I yeah, wanted, ahead, I go. wanted to know if anyone knew where Brother Vandegoy and all these monsters are uh, currently. If anyone knows, and then uh, obviously, um, whatever happened to Brother Don and Bucky Tucker, I always wondered. Amanda uh, responded. If anyone has any Amanda information responded on with Kentucky. Amanda responded with Kentucky. Down in the chat box. Yeah, Don. Oh, wow. Yeah, Don was there when Don I was, was there, there from I was there 09 to 11. 09 to 11. Oh wow! Like yeah. he he wasn't there when I first showed up, but he was. He showed up like about halfway through my time. Was there when I left? Thank you. And then Vandergoy, I heard he like was shipped off to Kentucky or started his own school or something like that. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like in the chat. That's what Amanda yeah, had posted. That's what it looks like in the chat. That's what Amanda had posted. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate everything, you guys, and hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, Soon. I'd be happy to put together. A, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to put together another show if any if anybody else wants to come on. I'm available, and uh, also my uh, co-host and producer Eric just called in. He wanted to share something also, and just you know, uh, Eric actually has you know probably a pretty good idea of what a lot of you are talking about. Eric is a gay Christian conservative from Georgia. He's on my show quite a bit. And Eric, I imagine probably some of these stories have kind of hit you kind of hard as well, I think, right? I mean, no, no, no kids should have to endure such abuse and mistreatment. Um, and even podcast friends of ours like Dina Joe and Mel, y'all may have seen in the chat, you know, echo that same sentiment. And, and I'm confident even the old man 
you know, from the Chit Chat with the Old Man show that me and Dina Joe do, and Slightly Serious from the Slightly Serious show, which I also co-host, echo that same sentiment as well. Yeah, no, Eric uh, Eric is a great guy, does a lot for my show and everybody's podcasts on here. And a lot of the people you Absolutely. saw coming in are a lot of the big podcasts that you see on Podbean's. You had some kind of some big hitters coming in and listening to the show today. So you had a, a lot of very popular podcast people coming in and listening. So you really had a very good audience. So I guess if everyone is good, I just want to again thank all of you for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much for telling your story. You know, make sure you keep telling your story, keep advocating for yourself. And this will be published tonight. If you want to listen to it again, it'll be on Podbean, but then also the, all the yeah. platforms like iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. So you can listen to it anywhere. So everybody, thank you very much. And uh, let's see if we can work together and get this um, place uh, maybe shut down. Okay. Do you have something, Eric? Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, and of course, a special thank you to our friend Amanda, you know, and all the hard work that, that she's been doing. Um, you know, we here in the podcast community can't, can't thank you enough. And, and I know John certainly can't thank you enough either. And, and, and y- y'all also have the support, like I said, of other podcast friends that, that came, came into our show today, including the old man, Dina Joe, slightly serious, Nida and me and Mel and the list goes on and on. And if you ever want to reach out to Amanda or to John, you, you have their contact info to reach out to them. And also Brett as well. Don't forget brett brett is also a very important person in this movement as well and look at some of the hashtag hashtag breaking code silence hashtag spare the rod so if you're hearing this podcast on one of the platforms as a recording look at some of these hashtags do some research on your own you know look into the school and realize what's going on because i mean the the, one of the things like i mentioned earlier i had someone write me today that lives in the same town is the agape school and they had no idea any of these things were going on here's another hashtag hashtag i see you survivor all right hey amanda we love you brett thank uh, you. Good, to, good to get to know you everybody that came on thank you yes hey. Yeah. hello hey i got something i want to sure. add something that just came to my mind that i remember um so i was there after i turned 18 and uh something else they did is those that were 18 they registered us to vote in missouri and told us who to You're vote kidding for. No, um, and that was Brett. That was Frank Burton who oh, was doing that. And they they would sit there. They would tell us exactly what to vote for, who to vote for. And the other thing is like like I know uh, you just said Eric was a gay conservative from you said Georgia. From Georgia. Georgia, yeah. Um, so this place is in in Missouri, um, and they they are they claim to be extremely conservative and right wing but i don't know how you think about like their actions or or other people that would be conservative or right wing would consider their actions if they knew that this place did the things that they did like such as making people vote for certain things yeah me personally i would not not force people into vote, voting for somebody they don't feel comfortable with because i i don't identify as being too right wing i'm more like like center right in my, my, my leaning. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm a libertarian myself. Um, but that was just something that I remember them mm -hmm. doing because I I get aggravated with both major political parties at times. And, and I'm, and I'm not alone in that sentiment either. I'm the same way. I mean, you know how 
I am. I lean to the right also, but right now it's hard to be happy with either side or either candidate. But yeah, I don't want to get on that that rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just well, a, but that's yeah. a that's a discussion for another show, John. Yeah, we'll do that one later. But <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Hey, thank you very much, yes. everybody. And, and go um, ahead, Eric, if you want to close this out, give give us the closeout. I love when you do my closeout. Yeah, um, well, um, you know, this has been another great show, and hopefully. John, you, you plan on doing more shows like this again in the future and in you and Amanda and Britt, hopefully exposing more like private school abuse scandals similar to Agape and Circle of Hope in hopes of getting them shut down and, and saving children from unwanted and unneeded abuse. And and also show your support to other podcast friends of ours, like the old man, Dina Joe, and me in the mornings and me and Slightly Serious in the evenings and Mel from Lyrical Laxatives and me from the A Day in the Life of Me podcast and, and many other great friends who, um, you know, you know, will have your back and, you know, and will show you the love and support that you truly need. Hey, Brett, if you look on my, when I post this on Podbean, you can see it in Podbean and I post all these shows down below the post of my show. And there's, I'll tell you, for all of you that, you know, want to talk, this is a great community. Podbean's awesome. There's a lot of good shows. So again, you know, don't make this the last time you come in. You'll pop into some of the other shows we talked about. The Old Man Podcast is a really good one in the morning where it's a very positive show. He's a great guy. And all the shows Eric mm -hmm. mentioned are really very good. And I list all of them you in know, my the talking corner, the talking corner with our good friend Crux from Sweden, Lingalanga. You know, that, that list just goes on and on. You won't be disappointed. No, absolutely not. All right. Hey, everybody, have a great Saturday night. I'm love you and God bless yep, you, we all. Love you all. Take care and thank you for being so brave and we'll be in touch soon. Take care now.